0: Goodbye, Hello, Heisman! 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45, there goes Davis! Oh my God! Davis is going to run it all the way back! Auburn's going to win
1: the football game! I get it back out of the 30, they're down to the 20! All the band is out on the field! He's going to go in the head! Four-man Alabama rush, got him! Oh no, they didn't know oh, my. How about that? Well, hey everybody, welcome into the Three Technique College Football Podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmy's and the Joe's. I'm Mitch Mason with another edition of our Insider Series. Today we're talking with Luke Winstell of ESPN and Clemson Sports. He's a beat writer for the Tigers also covers a little bit of Georgia football as well. He talks about his start in broadcasting and his sports career at the very beginning of this interview. And tell you what, as someone who just decided to start doing this on my own as well and, and turned that into a career, it's a lot of fun to listen to what Luke has been through and his story, and I absolutely crushes it. Over on his social media, at Luke Winstell. he's very easy to find. Um, go follow him on Twitter especially. That's where he puts out a lot of content, and it's just... Some of the best in the business, whether you're a Clemson fan or an NFL draft fan, we're going to talk Senior Bowl, we're going to talk Draft Day. He's got a lot of awesome information and uh, just looks at it as it is, right? Talks X's and O's, um, a very level-headed opinion, which I can certainly appreciate, and I know you guys do as well. That's kind of one of the calling cards of our podcast here. Uh, One reminder before we jump into the interview, please leave a like or a review on the podcast if you're listening, if you're watching we're growing like a weed. Uh, We're in hyper growth mode. And that is thanks to viewers like you likes on the video subscriptions, follows, it's all free. And we really, really appreciate it It helps us immensely behind the scenes more than you guys uh, could know right now. And like I said, um, with all the support that you guys have given us, we've got some big news coming up very, very shortly, just kind of waiting on the final few details and the timing to uh, drop that news. But Anyway, enough of me talking. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Now let's get to Luke Winstell of ESPN and Clemson Sports. All right, well, Luke, first of all, thanks for hopping on for a couple minutes with us. You know, I've started this series where I want to talk to as many insiders, scouting directors, reporters, etc., cetera, around the country to give unique perspectives. And, and you have one of the most unique stories that I've ever heard from, a sports reporter, you know, I've spent a couple of years obviously doing this. And when we first talked on the phone, your situation, what you do, uh, just made me smile. So uh, I'd love for you to just kind of explain, kind of your your day to day operations and uh, and who all you cover and as many places as you cover.
0: For sure. Well, first off, thank you for having me on the show. Glad to be here. And in terms of my story, it was one where started in sports media when i was 14 14 turning 15 there and follow my freshman year of high school so got into it that way as a sideline reporter for my high school's web stream eventually just enjoyed it so much i wanted to pursue it in college i got a kind of opportunity from a smaller division II school in central georgia that would allow me to cover basketball soccer some of the sports that i thought maybe i could find a future in And went down there to broadcast, helping out, working in the athletics department. Picked up an opportunity working with ESPN Plus off of the demo and some of the connections I had from that high school D2 level. And I was broadcasting college sports and still am now in year four of Mm -hmm. SOCON Southern Conference Sports on ESPN Plus. And if you know anything about the SOCON, they're a league that, you know, in football, basketball can give some of the bigger schools some money, a run for their money. So they – you know, have some of those power five games. We get to see like Wake Forest basketball and Auburn Alabama football occasionally. So it's been fun, you know, to be a part of whether I've been the play-by-play guy or the producer for the broadcast. So that was the mm-hmm. way of establishing some credibility for me and starting to build a name. And eventually in June, I picked up an opportunity to cover Clemson as one of the beat writers for ClemsonSportsTalk.com. So helping out with the Fox sports radio station and that show up there doing hits on radio and then writing some articles, everything from recruiting at the grassroots level to covering the games, 10 Clemson games this year, I got to cover. And then after that, going into the NFL draft and now covering a lot of the Clemson players that at this point, we're not totally sure where they are going to fall because there's plenty of question marks with that group. So it's always exciting at Clemson. There's plenty of talent, plenty of potential, but covering that beat, you know, it can be frustrating at times. It's exciting at times and gives you a full emotional cycle throughout that fall season.
1: Sure. Uh, no doubt about it. Uh, I, I remember some of what I did uh, when I was at Texas A&M and, and the experiences I have there draft season, uh, just covering them on a week-to-week basis. I can can certainly empathize. And then not only that, you you didn't even mention, you uh, currently go to the University of Georgia. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah,
0: I wasn't sure how much bio you wanted there. So I transferred to UGA. I'm still broadcasting with ESPN Plus, covering Clemson. And I'm in the UGA sports media program. So finishing up as a student here and really getting to sharpen some skills with professors that have really shown me a lot of good things.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just an incredible... Resume, run sheet, just day to day that you do. You're always on the move. You're always on Twitter, at Luke Winstell on Twitter. That's where I found you initially. I want to say uh, either early last year, or maybe as far back as 2020, I can't remember, but had yeah. been following you for a while and, and you know, just respected the hustle, respected the grind, loved the the effort that you were putting into play by play. That's my background as well. And, um, you know, it was, it was fun to get to connect with you and, and obviously bring you on the show to talk some Clemson football, talk Senior Bowl. You were uh, down in uh, at the Senior Bowl covering all things NFL draft. So let's get into it, man. And let's first start with Clemson. This was, uh, as you mentioned, your first year kind of covering that beat, 10 games that you got to cover directly. And, uh, you know, for the last several years, Clemson has grown into this, this seemingly unstoppable force, right? They came out of kind of like Alabama where they had had a lot of mediocre years and then Dabo Sweeney built them up. They had a bad year, quote-unquote, uh, yeah. two seasons ago, and they won 10 games, right? I mean, it's it's not anything to sneeze at. Uh, this year the offense was was extremely disappointing. What did you see from DJ Uyunglele and then from Cade Klubnik at quarterback where a lot of the headlines ultimately went?
0: So the hard part of when you're game in, game out, you're watching these games against Furman and Louisiana Tech early on in the season, and you're saying, Wait a minute, Clemson used to beat these teams by fifty, or if they didn't want to be aggressive, it'd be like forty two to three, you know. And where is that? That was the issue this year. DJ would play well enough to get a win, but not well enough that we could see Klubnik play much in the second half. You know, it. Mm-hmm. It was good, but not great. I think a lot of fans were. Clemson's got this motto. Some people still have it on their license plates on their car. Uh, the best is the standard, and it felt like for a while this season that just wasn't true. It was like, what happened to that? You know, why why are they accepting this quarterback play that's subpar? And whenever Klubnik would get a chance, it was like against Notre Dame, you're backed up in the red in your own red zone. You know, hey, go get it, kid. And then throws a pick and they pull him right back. And these kinds of things, like there were moments like that throughout the year that were, did they get that right in terms of putting him in, playing it? So it was a little awkward with that this season. But when DJ would go in and be playing, it would be a little hard to watch. It was slow, it was lethargic at times. And not just him, it just felt like the offense lacked a spark. And DJ's a good player. I don't think the play calling i don't think the coaching this year maximized or came close to putting him in good positions especially in some big games like the second half of south carolina kind of got to the thing where we're sitting up there in the press box saying okay they just can't get a first down it's just not happening it's not meant to be and you know that was the moment where as optimistic as you were if you were one of those Clemson people that thought that team should have been in the conversation for a playoff spot, if they'd beaten South Carolina, then won the ACC, they're a one-loss team, that game was the one where it was like, okay, the, what people were saying is true. This team is not the Clemson of the past. It's not that caliber. You know, it's a maybe 12 to 18 ranked type of team. They're very good, very talented, but didn't put it together. And quarterback was a big reason why the explosiveness, there were games where a 29 yard pass would be the longest play offensively of the entire game that Clemson's not going to cut it. But with Klubnik for him coming in, it was impressive to see some of the instinct he has, his ability to really leave it all out on the field. He's a very compelling, likable figure. So for Klubnik, a lot of people are going to be rooting for him because he's got the charisma. He's got the ability to rally a team as a younger player. He's, done it on the big stages in Texas football and that ACC championship game. I think even though the orange bowl wasn't great for Clemson, that game still inspires a lot of hope because of the way that he was going out there, lighting it up, slinging the ball Mm -hmm. downfield, finding Mm -hmm. some receivers that weren't big name guys. And he was able to get it done. So he's got potential.
1: Well, and, and that's, you read my mind. That was kind of the next question that I had. You, you win an ACC championship game. Right? I mean, you you finish this year at, at eleven and three with with the conference title. You blow out North Carolina, but then it's such a sour note from you know where I sit watching Tennessee win 31-14. And, and again, it was kind of like, oh man, what what is this offense going to to look like on a drive-to-drive basis? So DJU transfers out, he's over at Oregon State. Uh Kate Klubnick is is now the guy. What is kind of the temperature of tiger fans heading into 2023 we just wrapped up the recruiting class we'll talk about that in a minute but on field product as as far as projecting forward to this next season how are clemson fans feeling
0: there's optimism because of the garrett riley hire i think that does a lot and i think it even masks a little of the skepticism that should be there you look at the Orange Bowl, special teams was just horrendous. It's the worst I've seen Clemson special teams in a while. And I guess you're going to have game. Well, you shouldn't have games like that sometimes. But Clemson had that kind of a game. They probably should have been able to overcome it, but they didn't quite have the talent at those skill positions that I, I really am concerned about. So you look at the running back depth chart, it's going to be good this year. Shipley and Maffa, that's a top 10 duo in college football. I don't think I'd get a lot of pushback for saying that. Mm-hmm. But the receiver group, on the other hand, you know, Antonio Williams has shown some potential. I'm not totally sold on him as a wide receiver one guy, but he is the wide receiver one at Clemson because it's a lack of talent. And the guy that Cade Klebnick was connecting with best at the receiver position, Joseph Ngata, is now off to the NFL draft or he's going to get a chance at the NFL. So at those positions at receiver, Riley's scheming better be good because i don't think that this clemson team is going to be able to compete with the upper echelon of college football if they're not more explosive and Mm -hmm. Cade can only give you so much and oc can only give you so much so that is the biggest concern for me at clemson the recruiting class put in a couple of four stars at receiver but i don't see those guys as immediate impact they might play in a couple of games probably redshirt candidates most of them in the receiver group Mm -hmm. so the the running back duo is good. The depth behind that duo, I'm concerned about uh, for the future. But for now, the biggest concern is receiver. Riley provides the optimism that the play calling, the creativity, can help mask that. But I'm still skeptical. I'm still concerned of just how how that playmaking will be. And you know, Klubnik can elevate receivers. He's shown that. But sure. how much is it going to really be able to do?
1: I'm Alex Rodriguez. Well, and, and that's a good point, because in, we can move into Clemson recruiting now, too. I mean, I want to talk Garrett Riley as well, but composite uh, Clemson finishes at number 11. The overall, according to 247, was 15th. You talk about the receiver question, who's kind of the guy on the roster? And then, you know, I look down the, the Clemson recruiting page, and it's it's just a couple of receivers. Like you mentioned, maybe. Headline, if you can call it that, by Noble Johnson, who's actually a Rockwall product just right down the street from me. Uh, I remember early on in the process, I was really hoping to get a look from Texas A&M, and for whatever reason, it just never quite came. Uh, and, and Clemson hopped on that bandwagon early and, and got his attention. So where where do you see maybe a playmaker emerging, or, or how do you see Garrett Riley and Cade Klubnick elevating a wide receiver core that might not catch your catch your eye when looking at it on paper but still obviously needing to deliver championship level results
0: the biggest thing is going to be finding ways to get some of those explosive plays so that that involves even as simple as as basic as this is in football of just knowing what your players strengths are and trying to utilize it i felt like a lot of times last year, DJU is not Lamar Jackson. He's not Michael Vick. Why are we? Why is he running on these counter plays? Why are they, you know, trying to do this with this guy? And maybe it was effective here and there, but it was some things that that's not his strength. Let's use him at his strength, and uh, that was one of the issues with play calling last year. The other things too were Antonio Williams. If you believe in him as a deep threat, then let it fly. You know why are mm-hmm. we seeing so many screenplays, or why are we seeing him having to block so much if he's going to be the featured receiver? So as simple as DJ had an arm, I don't think we saw that get showcased enough. Maybe the coaches didn't trust it. I don't know. But Cade Klubnick can throw it downfield. We saw that touchdown again to Turner. You know, down in the bottom corner of the ACC championship. If you go back and watch that highlight, and he can sling it. He's not afraid to do it. So being able to say who are our deep threats, you know, let's let them go. And with the play call and those kinds of things of Clemson's receivers, the way they've recruited, and I'm not totally sure why they haven't mixed it up more, but a lot of the receivers have a similar build. They're these big, Mm -hmm. tall guys, broad shoulders. I'm sure if you've seen Noble Johnson in person, you know exactly the type I'm talking about. Right, yeah. So that's their type. And a lot of guys will fit that, like Dakari Collins, who just transferred out. Fit that kind of a vibe and they're built to play the boundary so let's see those guys get mm-hmm. some boundary opportunities and i just don't think we saw enough that's part of why dakari transferred he wasn't he could go up and get jump balls and worst comes to worst he'd get a pass interference call i don't think collins developed enough but i think he also deserved more opportunity than he did get so just being able to say okay if you're going to recruit these boundary types Let's see some one-on-ones. Let's see Klubnik fire away and have to make those tough throws, you know, sideline to sideline.
1: I think it's it's interesting that you point out kind of the same, almost like not a cookie-cutter mold because that, that has negative connotations, but Clemson has a, a type, right, like you mentioned, with their wide receivers. So I'm interested to see Garrett Riley coming in now, how this offense is going to look maybe – slightly different maybe vastly different uh as we head into 2023 Dabo was known and is known as a guy who likes a lot of staff continuity right i mean he likes his guys and that's how he likes to build his football program with Garrett Riley now coming in uh with the the resume intact of taking TCU to a national championship game behind a really fun offense what do y'all as as Clemson fans as Clemson reporters feel like the fit is for Garrett Riley and is there any sort of you mentioned the optimism earlier is there any sort of yes but with Riley coming in being as young as he is
0: my thing that I'm curious to see and I I'm taking a patient approach to Riley because you look at TCU and people are quick to look at his personnel or look at this and that. Well, that, that wasn't his TCU offense. He didn't design, mm-hmm. you know, every recruited prospect. He didn't pick every player. I mean, the scheme, I'm sure, was his own, but that's uh, I'm getting at the player and roster construction here of how he developed that. So mm-hmm. when you look at what he'll do, you almost have to look at his previous stops, but that's not comparable to the way that it would look at Clemson. So uh, for Riley, I'm curious to see a bit of what he did at TCU with the ability of, I don't think Klebnik and Duggan are similar, but I think Klebnik has the big playability that Duggan has and a little of that innate trait to him in terms of being able to have the instincts to move the ball and to have a good feel for the game. So Riley can play off of that by trusting his quarterback as an underclassman. So, I like that similarity of just a little bit of the touch that both of those guys have. And mm-hmm. I'm curious to see how Riley is going to recruit. It seems like a lot of the Brandon Streeter targets are still on the board for him. And he's been visiting them going in person to see him, but the way that he constructs his roster, the way that he goes about this first and second class, it's going to tell you a lot about how he wants this offense to work at Clemson and how, he's going to start designing things once he has his guys in the door. So there's almost a point where it's a little too early to try to break down too much. We just have to uh, mm-hmm. let him make his move and see if he wants you know, player A or player B or if he's got his own guys that will come in and kind of change things up.
1: This may be a question that I, if you've gotten it before, uh, definitely tell me. But what's the biggest challenge at Clemson? You know, you, you think of these upper echelon teams like Georgia, Alabama, Clemson you name a team like Oregon uh and a lot of times you think of the resources what they have their advantages I'm curious you know you've had a couple of years that were at least nationally disappointing for Clemson so as the national narrative has has maybe switched from singing the praises of Dabo Sweeney and whoever quarterback one is with Trevor Lawrence obviously in the NFL now um What has been, in your experience, the the biggest challenge for Clemson football, be it recruiting on the field, etc.?
0: I think the biggest challenge is, and the jury's still out here, but I think the biggest challenge can be almost themselves of the way that they conduct business of, and it's fine to be this way, to be so hard set, but they're not going to get into an NIL bidding war. That's well publicized. Mm That doesn't mean they don't allow players to sign deals and work deals. I think that's a misconception. There's guys like Jeremiah Trotter that have gotten solid deals or good enough for them to stay. Peter mm-hmm. Woods out of recruiting got an NIL deal that he spoke highly about. So their problem is you know, not that they don't do NIL at all. They just don't do the bidding wars, which there's some prospects and we see it in recruiting. We'll call a guy, oh, that's an NIL guy. Like he's probably yeah. going to be – one of those that goes to a school that is, you know, going to give them a good deal. And I don't blame them. I'd probably do the same thing. I'd, gosh, I don't know. I I don't know how I'd approach recruiting it. I don't right. understand, you know, how these people can go through this process. There's so many factors.
1: But. One, one question before we move over to the NFL side of things, you are, always on Twitter, covering recruiting, covering prospects, doing interviews with them, posting a lot of great content. Again, at Luke Winstel, if you want to go follow him on Twitter, it's well worth your time. What uh, What's recruiting coverage like nowadays in the, in the NIL world? You know, when I covered it, it was before any of that was legal. I think we knew that at every school there was an element of that going on, uh, but it was certainly never something that you saw or, talked about just because it wasn't as visible as it is now but nowadays you go to seven on seven and you know you've got quarterbacks wearing pajama pants and their brand deals with sunglasses and and things like that what's it like in this this new era of you know 18 year olds that have million dollar offers
0: yeah the thing it's like now is as a journalist, you have to have a healthy skepticism. I think if you cover recruiting, you have to have a ridiculously healthy level of skepticism. If someone tells you something, there's a very good chance it's not true. And if you report it, then that's on you. So yeah. you have to really understand when it comes to these things, um, you know, just the importance of verification. You hear these $13 million contract offers and I don't know anything about that, but I do know that Bryce Young was somewhere reportedly around 4 million. So I don't know Mm -hmm. how that's all structured. So you have to be skeptical of things. You have to be skeptical of a lot of the hype now. People get so hyped so quickly and you hear, oh, this is going to be the next big guy. And sometimes you have sources you trust that really tell you that, but you have to break it down and try to keep a, a very cool tone about you because it's very easy for one social media clip to make a player blow up and all of a sudden someone's giving them stars and now you got to follow the player and now is that real is it not you know our players rated this highly because of track times or politics and how good are they actually at football and a lot of them really are so you just have to be able to weed through a lot of that weed through the fact that your schedule is just year-round in recruiting there's yeah you know there's dead periods right but all these players start committing during dead periods. So you're still writing during a dead period. You're still posting. Right. So it's a different world. It's a world where you really, you know, can't take many days off or else you can get passed. And there's plenty of times where that can happen. So and and then you look at these philosophies too. Like some schools will toss out over three hundred offers in a class. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you cover or follow that. I've tried to and I have not done it successfully. And some schools like Clemson, and this is one thing, going back to your previous question, I don't think Clemson helps themselves by how few players they've offered. Twenty twenty four class. They're only in the 40s right now. So there's plenty of relationships they have. There's some younger guys that are saying, hey, you guys really like me. Everyone else has offered me. Why haven't you? And that can be a thing where Clemson's having to talk to a guy and really have to get them to understand the culture and buy into the culture when the kid might just say, okay, you know, it's, if you're not interested in me, if you're not believing in me, then they might move on and you can miss Mm -hmm. out on some good players. And Clemson generally is very smart in terms of recruiting. So that strategy hasn't killed them yet, but it can be frustrating to watch. So you see all these different strategies play out and there's a lot that goes into it. I enjoy the drama, the relationships of it are really really fun of the adults, the former NFL players, the different kids you get to meet on their way to superstardom. So yeah. there's there's plenty of drawbacks that have come with the new culture. And it's more important than ever for these kids to have a really strong circle around them mm-hmm. of people that can guide them and really help them say, Hey, you know, keep your head on straight. And I think everyone needs that, especially with social media. It can be really easy, especially for a young person to, you know, chase something that maybe they shouldn't be. So I find a lot of times the people with strong inner circles are the people that are the most successful in this area. So that's a lot of what I've gotten to see.
1: Yeah, I love that, man. I was talking to uh, an SEC recruiting insider on the phone the other day and asking him, Hey man, like when, when do you guys take vacations? And he just kind of, you know, rolled his eyes over the phone was like, man, I don't know. Like at this point, it's just, 25 seven. So certainly, you know, round of applause, uh, for, for all the dedication, the excellence with which, um, you know, all of your, your content, uh, stays. It's, I know that's not easy. So, um, yeah, big, big tip of the cap to you. Let's move over from recruiting over to what is top of mind, at least at this point on the calendar, we just had the senior bowl. You were there. I want to talk about that. The NFL draft as well. And if you want to, you know, talk about some some Clemson players, we absolutely can. You know, the top three that are being mentioned with that first round: Miles Murphy, the edge rusher; Brian Reci, uh, the inside, uh, the interior defensive lineman; and then Trenton Simpson, who could be the first linebacker off the board. It, not really sure who is going to be looking at linebacker first in this draft, but I've seen mock drafts that have had him going in the first, some in the early second. So, I guess that's a pretty good place to start. Where where do you think uh, these top three Clemson Tigers ultimately fit, and and how exciting is it to have gotten to watch them in their last year of college football and know, hey, these guys not only are going to be playing on Sundays, but could be some of the you know top 30 guys off the board?
0: For sure. And some of them, even like Miles Murphy, getting to see them come up out of high school in Georgia is yeah. some of the most rewarding stuff if you look at a guy in high school to college to pro and... You don't always get to see that. It's pretty lucky that Clemson's so good developing, getting to cover that program, Mm because not only do they get the five stars, but close to 80% of the five stars that Clemson has brought in under Coach Sweeney have gone to the NFL draft and been drafted. So those kinds of things, it's impressive. Um, It's a good group. I like Simpson as the guy that I'd be most confident on if, let's say, my team picked him. I'm not saying he's the highest on the board, but Mm – I'd be most confident in Simpson because you know what you're getting. You're getting an athlete that's really good. If you want to get into passing downs, if you want to send him after a quarterback, those are the things that I'd feel very good about with Simpson. But mm-hmm. the other two, Rissi and Murphy, have question marks to where if my team picked them in the top half of the first round in the NFL drafts, I would reserve my judgment and not say it's a home run. If they were picked in the second round, I'd say, probably good value I mean mm-hmm. uh, sorry second half of the first round sure or later probably good value I definitely yeah. could in the second round but Murphy's <laughs> one that he's a good guy he's fun to watch there's definitely questions about the motor and questions about you know he's you see him get off the bus athletic freak practicing athletic freak in-game mm-hmm. the thing that's just concerning is there'd be some games or I'd say is miles Is he playing? Because I'm not sure I really see much out there. And that's my criticism. Otherwise, like I say that after checking nine boxes of Mm -hmm. brilliance. So don't get me wrong, but I just there's a couple of question marks and there's a couple of games where you can't miss him. You know, getting sacks Mm -hmm. and PFLs everywhere. His numbers were good. So there's a lot to like about Miles. There's a couple of question marks as there are with every player that a team just would have to do their due diligence on. And then for Percy. I you know there's not many people that face more adversity in their final season. No kidding. So yeah. it's hard to just judge a guy off of that but at the same time the sample size is not great from this past year. So I understand if right. you have question marks to solve there.
1: Right. It it for, especially for Bruce it's like a kind of a plus minus situation where it's like oh my gosh this guy has incredible drive, incredible motor. Is going to be a great locker room guy because look at what he's gone through off the field, but also like because of what he's gone through off the field, we don't have that much tape on him, right? Or that much overall production plus, you know, is health a concern? How highly do you do you use a pick on him? I think that the ceiling is is there for all three. For Brissette, I'll be honest. You know, I'm putting together my my first round mock draft, kind of as we speak, and and trying to be so intentional about this before uh, we go to the combine. I don't know where to put him. I, yeah. I I think there are several fits down the board, especially like you mentioned, the second half of the first round. I don't know that I'd be comfortable drafting him in the top ten, where I've seen some mocks have him. Yeah. Um, but man, if you can get him. You know, close to that 20 spot, I think you're really, really happy, especially considering you could have maybe the top interior guy in Jalen Carter, the only guy that might go at that position group ahead of him, could be going one overall, right? So you you could have a couple of different uh, draft picks to think about where you could get Brian, and I'm really curious to see where he goes. I'm curious to see where I end up putting him as well. I, I just haven't quite come to a consensus there. Um Let's talk Senior Bowl. And you and I, right before we hit record uh, on this, we were talking about the social media coverage of it versus the reality. Sitting there for two days in the stands, watching every single rep. What's the difference between a guy like me that will watch all the social media clips that I can, that will watch the practice footage when it's uploaded to YouTube, but still a lot of that is compilations, a lot of that is cut, it's not each individual rep, to someone like you that watched it all, right? Raw, uncut, completely unedited. Um, you were telling me there's a little bit of a perception shift that you get if you're on my side of the phone screen.
0: I think so. And there's nothing wrong with that because I'm on that side of the phone screen a lot of times. So the thing that I will say that when you're there and then when you're in the media and you're checking like Watched every bit of tape as well back from the day. And the thing that you take away is what hits on social media. And this is funny as a reporter, because I do this. I look at a play and I said, that's going to be great on social media. And I don't even have to say anything. I'm not telling you that this player is a great player, but I'm saying this player wins this rep on day one of the senior bowl. And I just put a hashtag and, You know, at Senior Bowl, and all of a sudden, you know, if I'm good at it, maybe it's fifty thousand views if it's a good play. And we had a couple of those. And there were the thing to understand as well, the senior bowl credentials close to about a thousand media members. So there are a lot of people seeing stuff, a lot of people there. Everyone's looking for their social media content. So there will be things like Malik Willis really blew up at the senior bowl and was that deserved or worth it was it overhyped you know maybe maybe not it's a different conversation but we're seeing that you know every year now if there's so much traffic of these highlight real plays that you might miss the other three or four that they got you know blown off the ball or pancaked. Mm-hmm. so there were a few of those that I noticed one of the ones that I say is a really good player but just be careful on how far how crazy you go with this Tank Dell out of Houston, really good, really good day two pick. But now people are starting to slide him towards the end of round one or early Mm -hmm. round two. And I'm saying, you know, a few weeks ago, we were looking at him as like a third or a fourth rounder and he practiced for two days. There's three days of senior Bowl practice and then a game. So you're going to look at him for two practices. And of the two practices, there's about two five minute drills that he dominated in two days. So you got 20 minutes, you know, and maybe it's a minute of total tape on him. And now Mm -hmm. you're willing to say that was enough for you to move him up 20 or 30 spots. And I say, hold your horses. Like if he's good at the combine and pro day too, like, okay, we're getting there, but you really have to reserve your judgment because you look at the actual sample of it, you're comparing this, to guys that played a whole season and had, you know, maybe better production or better size or, you know, So those kinds of things. So Dell is really good, don't get me wrong, but we just can't go too crazy on people like that, especially at a skill position.
1: I you're preaching to the choir, my friend. I I was so that, you know, and and I have nothing to compare this to other than my days as a beat writer where I would see something like that, right? Where one guy has a great rap and it blows up on social media and everybody pronounces him, you know, a first-round talent. You're like, well, no. No, 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 no. That's not, not true. Um, So it's, it's, it's interesting to, to hear you say that, especially with a guy like Tank Dell, who is a good receiver. will go on day two. I mean, if, if he doesn't go on day two, there's, you know, something else has gone wrong. Um, But you had people pronouncing him in the top two, three wide receivers on their draft board. And I was just sitting there scratching my head going, how, yeah. I, I saw he undressed a slot corner in that drill. I get it. But you weren't saying that when he was playing Tulane, right? So anyway, I'm uh, you're, you're, like I said, you're preaching to the choir. Um, I'll get off my soapbox. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment.
0: That is a harsh lesson in business.
1: Sports is not uh, as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I
0: didn't want to do another
1: stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I I want to go and hit a couple of positions with you and and just get your thoughts. And I actually texted you this while you were at the Super Bowl and, and asked for your input on Stetson Bennett. What you were hearing around... Uh, the senior bowl just in in chit chat right is what was kind of the temperature of Stetson who boy the timing could not have been worse for that guy right he wins a national championship he has a little bit of a press snafu at the national championship parade uh, kind of snaps at a reporter then he gets arrested here in Dallas for you know public intoxication he spurns the invite from the senior bowl it was just kind of a bunch of missteps all in a row. And and I was curious, did, did were you hearing that that might be affecting his draft stock there in Mobile? One of the
0: things that can be underrated, maybe not to people like us, but in some of these situations, perception in PR is just, it's a big deal. And Stetson had everything perfectly laid out for him. The walk-on that has, the dog mentality and earns the job and shows all the intangibles and he's a proven winner and, you know, nothing can stop him. He's at the pinnacle of college football for two straight years and, you know, really took a step forward this season, I thought as well, in terms of on-field performance and everything's trending in the right direction to, you know, fans are loving him. And everyone's happy to line up for their Canes chicken fingers because Stetson's serving at the window. And then now you've got, people starting to go lukewarm and it's in the media too. And, you know, maybe even a little less than that of, you know, yeah, everything perfectly laid out the mailman. I mean, you can't PR this better and NIL it better in college football, but then you get to one thing after another to at the parade, you know, you're not looking at the fans, then you say some stuff and then, there's now multiple occasions where he has been drunk around major events, one of them arrested for, you know, missed media availability sure. um, this year. And they had Brock Bowers do the availability instead of the quarterback that the media was hoping to talk to. And last year, yeah. drunk on national TV. So now these things start to line up. and And as you mentioned, the things that you say. Of, okay, we really liked you, but now this is a little much here. So Mm -hmm. there were some media members that were looking at that. And then they look at, you know, before Hendon Hooker got hurt, Stetson Bennett and Hendon Hooker were the two that could have come to the Senior Bowl and just blown up their draft stock. Because, you know, all it takes for a guy that has good college tape that NFL scouts might question for one reason or another. All it takes you know you come to the senior bowl and prove that you can do this against this nfl type talent and go knock out your interviews and that was the big thing for stetson of at the senior bowl every player meets with every team so all 32 teams get to interview you in some capacity so i know stetson will get his opportunities to talk to teams but i thought at least even if he didn't want to go play in the game or risk an injury i thought it would at least be good for him to show up and especially after some of the PR questions, be able to speak for himself, answer to some of that, maybe calm some concerns. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure, you know, what went on to that decision. I'm sure him and his agent had their own, you know, discussions and their own logic for it. But from a PR perspective, there were plenty of people starting to knock him and starting to say, Hey, I just I'm not sure I believe in this guy or I'm not sure this is a guy that really, you know, could be that sleeper type of story in the NFL again. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, especially when you know you're drafting him as a a late day two, somewhere on day three, quarterback, right? And I say late day two, I mean that's not going to happen. But Definitely. you know what I mean. Not not a top draft pick. You are bringing him in as a backup to learn to see. Okay, if we develop him, does he turn into something, right? So at that point, he's a culture guy. You need him to check all the boxes and to to have the you know the dress whites uh pressed and, and ready to go. You need him to look good for your organization. I don't I don't know that Stetson has really done that, uh, when given some of these opportunities. So I am interested to see where he goes. I mean, I gosh, at this point I don't think he's gonna go undrafted. I think somebody will draft him. But man, like you said, there's you you start to go, okay, well, actually we might lean towards this guy or, or that guy, right? And and there's just reasons to now pick somebody over him um, that I think he could have easily avoided. So we'll see what ends up happening with Stetson. Um, let's do some position quick hitters. Uh, you were there. You got to watch. I, I'd love to know offensively, and let's do skill positions, who were some of your big winners from the Senior Bowl? Who who just stood out to you as you watched them on the field?
0: Let's see. We'll go. We'll go a little running back here. I thought... Kenny McIntosh re- reaffirmed a lot of what we already thought about him. I don't mm-hmm. see him going as even a high day two guy. Maybe he's round three, round four. But McIntosh showed that he can be a good pass catcher. He can run the ball. I think the pass catching ability is we, – we knew that was going to catch people's eye at the NFL level. So I don't see him as a bell cow in the NFL, but I see him as a productive guy that you mix into an offense and have catch passes – I think it provides value and he proved that the running back group was a lot of middle of the pack guys from the way that I just saw that of, Hey, your team takes him in the fourth round. Good. That's cool. You know, third round, maybe fifth round, you know, for some of them is definitely a possibility, but it's a lot of those types that sit kind of four to five for me Mm -hmm. on the board. I think, a guy like Tajay Spears had a couple of good plays, but you know he wasn't spectacular. Uh, <laughs> he he was he wasn't mind-blowingly good, but he was very good. So it was those kinds yeah. of things. Like he helped himself, but we're not going to overhype it. And um, you know Cameron Peoples, I thought had some good moments, but it was a lot of that. It wasn't a ton of just this guy blew my mind at the running back spot. I think at receiver, Tank Dell, we already talked about. Rashi Rice to me is a very good day two pick, pretty much late second, early third mm-hmm. uh, SMU. So he well, checks that. Yeah, he checks some physical boxes. He's the player that runs crisp routes, he had some good releases. So mm-hmm. there's plenty of things that in the NFL you can work with. You can see him as a you know two wide receiver two, wide receiver three type of guy. He'll contribute. Uh, I really wish that Andre Yosovash from Princeton. I wish he got some better throws. The quarterback group was not very good, so mm-hmm. there were a couple of routes that might have been good for social media that you might have seen us might have seen us tweet, but he didn't make the catch and the ball was five yards in front of him, and yeah. you know it's hard to hard to sell on Twitter. So. <laughs> So some of those plays that he might have made didn't get made, but I think that it's always intriguing to have a Princeton prospect in your top 200. So sure, uh, that's another guy. Outside of that, uh, Puka Nakua practiced for one day, kind of blew mm. us away a bit on day one on the national team, and then he was that was it. So it's hard to evaluate one practice, but yeah, from the 20 minutes I saw him run routes, he looked like a good draft pick. So that's yeah. one of the hard things to evaluate, you know.
1: Yeah. It's whew. some of these guys I tell you what, they play chess not checkers and it does not make our job as is evaluators uh as social media personalities easy at all cuz it's like where where do you rank this? Like I don't want to, you know, basically clickbait everybody by saying, "Oh, he's he's the next great receiver," but also like if I don't say anything and he does turn out to be good and that was my hunch, like I'm going to kind of be kicking myself for not posting that. So I I get that as well. Uh, tight end is supposed to be a really deep group this year. Was, was there any one tight end that kind of stood out to you?
0: We knew that because of his stature and because of some of the hype he's gotten over the past year, that Luke Musgrave would be somebody to watch. He was good. Um, I think he's probably a good second round tight end for a team out there. But mm-hmm. to answer your question, the one that, was a real riser to me was Payne Durham I don't think he's going to be even a day two guy it's probably middle of day three if we're looking at his stock but he went from you know being in the 200s to maybe late 100s maybe 180 or so on a big Mm -hmm. board because the scrappiness the physicality that translated from Purdue to this level but his pass catching he had several touchdowns and They were eye-catching plays, had one play where he was sandwiched in between a couple of defensive backs and was able to come through. So the way a lot of those tight end drills work is it's tight end versus safety, and Durham was a mismatch. Whenever he did get separation, that's always impressive. He did that a few times, but his ability to make the tough catches with a safety draped all over him and be able to take that down, break tackles. So in 1v1s, but especially when they got to – 7-on-7 seven seven or 11-on-11, 11 11, that's where he was at his best. So there's a lot to like about Payne Durham as maybe a tight end two for an NFL team at his peak.
1: Uh, let's go inside the trenches. And one of my retweets uh, was from Isaiah Foskey, a great rep that he had um, against Michigan's right tackle. And I'm, I'm sure you're very familiar with the clip, kind of bowls him over it gets to the quarterback. Uh, And, you know, in that vacuum, I tweeted, "Ah, I might be a little bit low on on Foskey. Um, I just don't remember consistently seeing some of that power that he flashed in that rep. Well, then, of course, it's like the very next rep he gets sat on by Paris Johnson Jr., right? So when you were watching the, the battles in the trenches, whether it be tackles and guards or edge rushers, who stood out to you? And maybe was there somebody that you thought, oh, I, kind of, I kind of thought I'd see a little bit more out of this guy?
0: Fosky's a hard one to evaluate because he's one I feel more comfortable talking about because we saw three practices and I think we saw a bit of the game from Foskey as well, Yeah, if I remember correctly. So at least the three practices, I, I'm familiar with that film very much so. And day one had some ups and downs. Foskey was one that came in you know, this is a media guy, when someone is the headline of the opening press conference, you know, that's, they're pretty highly thought of. So Foskey was the defensive headliner, Max Duggan from TCU, the offensive headliner. And for Foskey coming in, that was the thing of, this could be the Jermaine Johnson type of player that goes from day two into day one with a good performance. And this could be the start of Because Foskey, I mean, you look at his numbers in college, 20-plus sacks in the past two years, there's plenty of pass-rushing ability that he's put on tape. And you look at that, you know, if the NFL team doesn't like pass rush, they're crazy. So there was a lot of those different things that you look at and you say, hey, this could be a guy. And the rep against Hayes was good, but then it seemed like every time we saw a good flash, we saw him getting pancaked or we saw – like Dewan Jones from Ohio State blocking him to the sideline, for example. and
1: Yeah, that was tough.
0: And after that, it seemed like we didn't hear a whole lot from Foskey on day two or three. There were good performances, but just not, not a lot of flash that we might have been expecting of that
1: mm-hmm. potential.
0: Or, you know, maybe the guy that does a spin move and everyone's in the crowd like, whoa, look at that. So... That's, uh, Foskey's a tough one to evaluate. I still think he's a, a good second round pick. That's the way I feel about Foskey. So um, yeah. you look at a D line I thought we'd get a little more from Keon White from Georgia Tech. He did better as the week went on, but we interviewed him after day one and he said something to the tune of his pass rushing sucked. Like he just wished that <laughs> he had a better day as a pass rusher. And I, I think it comes from a perspective thing of he's used to being dominant in the ACC. Like yeah. some of these guys were just bigger than him and they were able to win some reps that he was probably used to winning. So I think that might've been a moment for Keon where he was like, oh, okay, this is this is really uh, the level of talent we're dealing with. And he adjusted after day one and he got better. So some people are talking a little crazy about him being like a first you know high first rounder. I think that's a little much. I see him as a, another good second round pick. You take him in the second, you're happy. You got talent. I was disappointed with uh Andre Carter. I really did not see much from him out of army and he's mm-hmm. one that I want to root for just as a person. Mm-hmm. Great story, but and he's got plenty of athleticism, twitch, bend. The thing is the weight. He's just can't compete with these guys right now. So he's one that oh. You take him, you've got to add weight, you've got to work on that raw potential, and then that's another guy, that day two. You have to understand he's a project, but the ceiling is high enough to justify a day two pick on Carter. But I just, in the present, the film didn't blow me away. Keanu Benton from Wisconsin, I thought, really helped himself. Mm -hmm. Yaya Diaby from Louisville showcased some good bend at his size, so he might go a little higher on a day three board. Um offensive line is a really good group if you want to get into that one really good
1: yeah i'm i'm really excited so typically offensive line is is the group that i enjoy watching in film i'm i'm not going to nail every technique and be able to tell you oh well on this rep his hand placement was you know kind of shades of perfect and this one sucked like i'm not going to be able to tell you that specifically but overall grading this offensive line group it's hard man because so many of them feel like okay well I mean I could see taking him at the end of the first I could see taking him at the end of the first is that you know what's the difference between a first round grade a second round grade now are we starting to slip into third round grades like they're all kind of tightly bunched for me so yeah I mean feel free to take that wherever you'd like
0: sure so Darnell Wright from Tennessee got some buzz for the first round another SEC guy, Osiris Torrance, got some buzz. Those guys Mm -hmm. were able to hold it down. And the reason that I really was confident in some of their film was they were doing it against some kind of name brand guys, like people Mm -hmm. we watch in the SEC week in and week out. So that was one of the things that helps of when you look at the matchup and you say, okay, they're beating a Alabama defensive lineman to the rep, and you know the name. so. Those two are some that generated a lot of that. Some of the offensive line, like interior guys, don't get a ton of buzz because that edge rusher versus offensive tackle is where a lot of people want to look. Mm-hmm. But John Michael Schmitz and Steve Avila were two of the interior guys that stood out. Those are good, you know. A project player on the O line, Wanye Morris out of Oklahoma. He's got size showed some ability to put up some good reps against edge guys like Ali Gay out of LSU and a couple of yeah. those types uh, that are super athletic. So you got to like him. We didn't see a whole lot of Warren McClendon from Georgia, but when he was out there, he was bullying people. Uh, on the other team, national team offensive line, Cody Mock helped himself to Juan Jones only practiced for a day, but that was a heck of a day.
1: Yes, it so- was. <laughs>
0: So those are some of the guys that, when you take away names, those are people that I think capitalized on the Senior Bowl and were able to move up boards. I think Schmitz, Wright, and Jones, and Mock, I guess, would be the four that I think really helped most.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad you said that kind of selfishly, because I've got decent grades on all those. I love Darnell Wright. Uh, I, I understand the concern that Uh, Hey, he kind of didn't really put it together until this last season, but gosh, you watch that Tennessee Alabama tape, man, and he handles uh, Will Anderson, right? I mean, just rep after rep. He's constantly in the right place at the right time. I thought the clips that I saw from him at the Senior Bowl were very, very impressive. So I'm really interested to see where he goes. And then, yeah, grading those guards, it's really tough. Like I've got Peter Skoransky graded as a guard. I've got Mock graded as a guard interior as well. Yep. Um I just think that you know that that's where they're going to to really flourish. Um especially Skronsky who doesn't who's more technique oriented. I I don't know that I love him out at tackle, but at the same time like you could have a team like the Texans take him with that second first round pick if he's there because of the versatility, right? You can slide him out to tackle or you can have him play guard, which is definitely a need of theirs. So I'm I'm so excited to see on draft day where these guys go, how they get ranked. And then to to get to watch their careers from there, um, let's talk secondary, and then we'll we'll let you get out of here. Secondary, the, the wide receiver versus the the cornerback, or sometimes even the safeties, very polarizing on social media. Like you mentioned with tackle and edge rusher, that's kind of the sexy clip to tweet, and and none no clips get more retweets than clips where a wide receiver is burning a defensive back by ten yards, or similarly when a wide receiver just gets sat on on a route and, and that defensive back smothers him. So take me through some guys in the secondary, whether they're corners or safeties that you thought, okay, yeah, this guy can play. And, and similarly, a guy that maybe you're like, ah, I really wanted to see a little bit more out of him for whatever reason.
0: One of the ones that intrigues me on, I guess we'll start national team here, JL Skinner from Boise state. He's a yep. hard hitter. He's a big body, long arms, so physically, checks and boxes, hard hitter, that's fun to see. Even in practice, you saw him, it looked like he's about to light somebody up, and he could have, but it's practice, so he kind of yeah. eases off, and you say, oh, man, that would have been a Cam Chancellor kind of hit if this was in-game. And the way that he's able to be an enforcer, I didn't really see him get beat in coverage when they got into, like, 11-on-11s very often, if really at mm-hmm. all. So. He's one that I think another good day two pick, probably a second, late second, early third rounder territory Mm -hmm. for me. Um, Caillou Blue Kelly out of Stanford was kind of all over boards, somewhere between 90 and 130, depending on what outlet you checked. And he was able to show that in coverage, he had an interception. To finish, I think day two, he had the pick. And the ability that he had to defend some of the faster receivers, I thought was impressive defensively. Jamie Robinson from Florida State on the American team was intriguing. His leadership ability. He's a South Georgia guy, so I've gotten to see him a little bit and hear about him on his rise. Um, But at the Senior Bowl, I thought he was solid, didn't blow me away. Chris Smith at the Senior Bowl out of Georgia was another big name that was there that I thought was solid, didn't blow me away. But he's another pick that I think in the third round somebody's going to get a good DB out of Smith mm-hmm. and Tyreek Stevenson from Miami might have been the biggest riser. I'm okay. not sold on the first round conversation for him yet, but I like him in the second. Okay,
1: <laughs> I haven't even seen first round conversation for oh, him. Oh, that's good to know that it's out there. Maybe I need to. I, I thought I read a lot of draft content. Maybe I need to, to up it because I've got a 2-3 tweener grade on him from what I've seen. I yep. was, was not aware of the first round conversation.
0: So this was one of the head scratchers for me. So I'm I'm checking this out here. Uh, projected as a first rounder in a mock draft uh, right before the senior bowl. It was February 2nd. Okay, it was One of the, the bigger mocks, I guess here. But yeah, so Stevenson, I like him in coverage. He's got... The combination of the speed and the aggressiveness and the footwork, uh, the hips I think were one of the more impressive things. Like you look at mm. some corner prospects and say, "Okay, I'm," you know, not sure about that. But Stevenson, it seems like really has elevated himself on that side of uh, that side of things. So the coverage ability that we saw from him, especially on the boundary, reading balls, making plays on the ball. Uh, that was interesting, but yeah, there there were a couple of mocks that had him up there, either in the first or close to it. So uh, I'm not sold on that, but I think second round could be a possibility just because of yeah. positional value as well.
1: Sure. I, I again, corner is another position that I have so much trouble ranking. I mean, I've gone back and forth on my top three. I, I've had Witherspoon as my top corner right now. Christian Gonzalez is kind of my top corner. So uh, you know, and then Joey Porter Jr. There's there's kind of a consensus top three, although I saw cam uh, cam Smith from South Carolina, just go, I want to say in the top 20 in a mock draft as well. Um, I know there's questions about whether he's a first rounder or not. Emmanuel Forbes, how highly do you move him up the board? Um, there seems like a lot of growing sentiment that, that Forbes is kind of that sleeper. Um, and, and help me, help me with this. So, I've had a lot of trouble ranking kind of Keely Ringo, Deontay Banks, Clark Phillips, the third, Eli Ricks. All of those guys have issues, their own separate issues that make me go, Oh, do I really want him on my team if this doesn't get fixed? So out of that group, I know Keely Ringo is the guy that draws a lot of attention because he was cornerback one for back-to-back national champions, right? In Georgia had some awesome reps, had some times where he just sat on a receiver, makes the the highlight pr- play that everyone will remember against Alabama to seal that game. Also had some moments where it was like, dude, what is he doing? So maybe close us out on this. Where do you think Keely Ringo ranks kind of in true talent? And, and where do you think teams evaluate him right now?
0: Ringo is going to be the type of corner to me that, especially as a rookie in the NFL might be a little frustrating because he's a bit handsy. So there's going to be some PI calls just regardless of who it is. And you have to know that coming in. So the speed is got a good chance to blow people away. And that's where, again, you have to temper yourself of, you know, who is this guy on film? Who are we really talking about? Cause if he goes out and runs a four two or a, a low four three, like people say he might, then, you know, that's going to cloud some things I think in the evaluation yeah. area. So I think Ringo, you know, he was mocked in the first round for a while and now we've got people seeing him in, you know, second round or, Mm -hmm. you know, even late second. Now I would say I would pick him kind of mid forties. That's the way that I Mm -hmm. feel in terms of just to put a number on it. Mm -hmm. I think speed is the biggest pro the size. He fits the mold of what a lot of NFL defenses would like out of a corner. So those boxes are checked. The interception ability against some of the best receivers in the game is another box checked. But the tough part of Ringo is the handsiness at times. We saw some PI calls. I think we saw at least one against Tennessee as well in some of the bigger games. So that's one thing I watch out for against Ringo. I do like the competitive ability of him to go up against the number one receiver week in and week out. And even when he gets beat, he comes back. So those kinds of things it seems like he's got a good mentality to him. But I'm just not sold on the he's one of those at the hips I'm not quite as sure about of his ability, you know, and some of those routes to defend. So the coverage is something that can be a work in progress. I don't see him quite stacking up to a Witherspoon level. So with all that being said, I think he's a really good prospect, but I just don't see him as a top three or four corner in this draft.
1: Yeah, I've got him, you you said, somewhere in the mid-40s, early mid-40s. That's kind of where I've got him graded as well in my top 100. Late 30s, early 40s, somewhere in there where I think, gosh, a team that gets him in the second round is going to go, all right, let's ride. Let's find the way to best utilize his talent. But first round, to me, it would feel like a little bit of a reach. So I certainly appreciate your your insight on that. And man, I tell you what, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast here tonight. I know we were texting, we we were talking about about 45 minutes tops. We've gone 15 minutes past that. So I certainly want to get you, get you out of here on, on a high note, but uh, tell the listeners again, where they can find you on all of your social media. Yeah. For me,
0: I always say I'm lucky that there's not a whole lot of Luke Winstles out there. So it's, at luke winstel w-i-n-s-t-e-l on social media and try not to be too hard to find uh you know keep the dms open if anyone ever wants to reach out so um it's out there covering football glad to do it and social media instagram and twitter are the two biggest ones so that's where a lot of my content goes
1: well there you go man we wish you the absolute best hopefully you get some sort of vacation. And I know you're you know obviously still uh doing doing classes as well, so somewhere in this process, I hope you get a breath, you get to go sip a cool beverage on a beach somewhere and uh just kind of rest from all the excellent content that you put out you're You're certainly one of the up and coming names in the industry and some of my favorite content to uh to consume over on the social media. Well, thank you. I
0: appreciate you having me on, and thank you for the kind words.
1: Yeah, absolutely all right there he goes luke winstel again go find him on social media follow him for all the draft coverage clemson sports uh, as well as we head towards football season in 2023 to our listeners thanks so much for tuning in to another episode uh, glad to have you with us each and every week until next time so long everybody